Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Counseling on the Force Center podcast feed, the show that believes absolutely every little part of Star Wars is great from a certain point of view. I am your host, my name is Joseph Scrimshaw. With me, as almost always, is a special guest, a very small, responsible sip of whiskey. 
If you are listening to Star Wars Counseling for the first time, here's the deal. I collect some grievances, some things that are upsetting fans about Star Wars. Sometimes they're big, epic things. Sometimes they're just like small, weird little details. And I try to make people feel better about them. I try to pull them toward the light. The light side is calling, and so is this podcast. And we try to go into it. We try to look at things from a couple of different points of view that might make people feel better. This is our first episode after The Last Jedi, a very bold, complex, strange Star Wars film. Personally, I think all Star Wars films are strange. They're just strange in different ways. But a lot of people have a lot of powerful feelings about this film. So I wanted to address some of those big grievances There will be more Last Jedi grievances to come, I'm sure, and I'm sure there will be uh, big ones, and I'm sure there will be small, weird, dumb ones, because a part of what I love about Star Wars is there's always something dumb, even in the most brilliant Star Wars movie. Anyway, let's settle back with my whiskey and yours, if you are a whiskey-drinking type, or maybe you're at work or in a car. In that case, knock it off. Anyway, enough with the judgment. Our first grievance of two, grievance number one, is Luke Skywalker. Why wasn't he really there? This was sent into us by Tristan Shields. Tristan is a regular listener and supporter of Force Center, and we appreciate that very much. Tristan says, If Luke was going to help the Resistance escape, why not just actually go there? He had his X-Wing. I just feel it's a little cheating of him not going there. While the power is cool, he does die of it. And then uh, Tristan also adds, not a frowny face, not a smiley face, but that uh, slash face, the just the eyes and then the mouth that's like, hmm, I'm not sure about this. And the hashtag, I'm sad, all caps, I'm sad, no apostrophe. So he didn't break the hashtag, I'm sad. Anyway, now Tristan sent this in, I believe, uh, right after the film came out. So who knows, perhaps Tristan, you yourself have maybe uh, gone to the film and have maybe been giving it some thought. Or maybe hashtag I'm sad is still true. I know a lot of people did have Luke Skywalker grievances. And a lot of them did kind of uh, get bundled up in wanting to see Luke Skywalker really go out there with his lightsaber, uh, you know, raise his hand, knock over those ATM6s with his hand, just with a quick wave of his hand. We didn't even know ATM6s existed, but we imagined it would be awesome to see Luke Skywalker just push them over. I think a lot of this is uh, tied up in the general how Luke was handled. Other people have even raised the question in the grievance, is it heroic enough for Luke Skywalker to have done this, or did he physically need to be there swinging that lightsaber, knocking over First Order scum with his mind? Well, let's get into it. I think the central conflict for Luke Skywalker is, and always has been, I cannot bring myself to kill someone I care about. It was his defining victory in Return of the Jedi that he did not want to murder his father, even though his father was the most hated man in the galaxy. I think the desire to not physically attack and hurt someone who he cares about, someone from his family, is also his defining fear in The Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson has also been on the record that the question he asked himself for this middle chapter, the second act of any story is always challenging your characters. He asked, 
what would challenge Luke Skywalker the most? And I think it makes sense to go back to his great victory and return of the Jedi and say, the hardest thing for Luke to face would be, I succeeded by not doing physical harm to my father. That is what brought him back to the light. And since that was in the past my greatest success, how can I face turning my back on that and using physical violence against my nephew? So for me, it makes a lot of sense that that is the thing that is truly challenging Luke. Now, for some background on all this, let's go back to why Luke was hanging out, jump spear fishing fish on Octu to begin with. It is because he is mad at himself. He is mad at himself for failing. Now, his failure is specifically tied up in one moment, which I think is another strength of the film, that it's not a general, yeah, my nephew turned evil, and then he slaughtered a bunch of the Jedi at my temple and then mysteriously kidnapped some rest of them, and then he burned everything down, and this is a bummer. The whole thing is just a big generic bummer. And instead boiled it down to a specific moment and a specific choice that was Luke's. Luke is mad at himself for his own choice. That failure is the moment that Luke sensed the depth of darkness in Ben Solo and Luke made the quick choice to ignite his blade. Now, that moment symbolizes many very difficult things for Luke. Uh, Dealing with a problem through violence, taking physical action against a family member, igniting a laser sword, and failing to break a specific Jedi cycle. That cycle being, when you train someone very powerful in the Force, there's always a danger that they will succumb to the dark side. And in that one moment, that one fleeting shadow, as he describes it in the film, where he ignites his green lightsaber, he is dealing with all of those things. The threat of violence, the connection to a family member, the hubris of trying to train someone very fa- uh, very powerful and failing and having them succumb to the dark side. Now, uh, along with this, there is that whole discussion of a certain point of view, because we hear this story three times. And from my perspective, my certain point of view, here's what I think about those flashbacks. First, Luke tells Ray about when Ben Solo turned to Kylo, turned dark, and destroyed the temple. And Luke tells it to Ray in a watered-down version that isn't facing the part that Luke is truly upset about. Then Kylo tells her a different version where Luke is just hovering above him and ignites his saber and swings down, and that is Kylo's maybe legitimate point of view, but I think probably manipulative version of what happened. And then finally, Luke tells Rey the full truth. And I think that final version that Luke tells her where he stands above Ben, he reaches in and he senses all of the darkness and all of the horror to come, and just for a second, out of instinct, he ignites that blade, and then... It is too late. Kylo sees it. There's no reasoning with him after that. To me, that's the true story. That is what happened. Now, all that said, I think it's important to note why Luke says he ignited that blade. It wasn't just that he sensed darkness in Ben. It was that he sensed Ben destroying everything that he, Luke, loved. His new Jedi Order, his students, his temple, perhaps even Han's death, the general fate of the galaxy. And then Luke reacted 
out of fear of losing things he loved, which Jedi are not supposed to do, and Luke knows that, by even briefly considering striking Ben down to prevent all of that horror, he was also being proactive. He was stopping it before it happens, which would mean he was using his power for attack, not knowledge and not defense, as he was taught by Yoda. So that one moment, that one fleeting choice, is a big old bag of guilt and shame when it comes to traditional Jedi teaching, when it comes to all of the ways that Luke wanted the Jedi to be different this time. He has this huge amount of of guilt about not only the choice, but all of the reasons that that choice violated what he believes in. And to me, even though Luke says it was a fleeting shadow and he did stop himself, I truly believe that that one moment is more than enough to break Luke's spirit. And to me, it's totally understandable and matches the Luke that I know because he's kind He's sensitive. He has been traveling the galaxy for decades now, trying to accumulate Jedi knowledge and wisdom and try to do it different this time, try to do it better. And because he is kind and because he is sensitive, he is furious at himself for having even that second of weakness and failure. Basically, Luke is like your buddy that you go out to a bar with and they have made like a dumb dumb choice in a relationship or at work and they have had some bad consequences and you just sit them down and try to say, hey, buddy, like you were Poe Dameron and called everyone buddy and said to your buddy, you made one little mistake. Yes, there were tragedies, but you made this one mistake and now you are taking all of this blame, all of this anger, all of this shame and you are piling it on and piling it on and you would try to talk your friend out of that, but you would understand that they feel the weight of that choice and the consequences. To me, this is all very relatable. It is like Luke Skywalker was running a marathon. It's like if I trained to run a marathon, and for those of you who follow me on Twitter and follow how much cheese I eat on a daily basis, you would know that was an incredible challenge for me to train for a marathon. This is like if I trained forever, and my father was a great marathon runner before him, and I had been trained by the best marathon runners ever, and I was going to be a good marathon runner, and I did the best marathon ever, I was the fastest ever, and then I tripped at the finish line. I think that's what it feels like to Luke Skywalker. He was so close, and then he made this dumb, futile mistake. His anger with himself is so great I think he's even projecting a little bit. The Jedi are doomed to failure, he says. The examples he cites of Jedi failure are pretty legitimate. The rise of Darth Sidious and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi failing in Vader's training, or Anakin's training, and helping to create Darth Vader. Just like the Jedi of old, Luke made these same mistakes. He allowed Kylo Ren to rise, wipe out the new Jedi. He uses the words trained and created Darth Vader in particular. He says it was a Jedi Master who trained and created Darth Vader. So this is a very different perspective that Luke is having. Luke isn't saying Vader was seduced or Anakin was weak. He is putting the blame on Obi-Wan that Obi-Wan's failures 
created Darth Vader. Rey uses this same uh, very emotionally upsetting turn of phrase when she asks Luke, did you create Kylo Ren? In flipping the responsibility from the fallen pupil to the failed master. I think Luke is legitimately angry at himself for his failure. He's legitimately angry at the failures of the Jedi. And I think he's saying, it's not just my failure. I failed, yes. But look who else failed. Yoda failed. Obi-Wan failed. Mace Windu failed. They all failed. Everyone screwed this one up. I guess it just can't be done. The masters will always fail the apprentice in the galaxy in some way. Now I can almost feel through the force of podcasting and the force of strong Star Wars opinions, people crying out, but Luke is a hero. The hero I knew from Return of the Jedi would not succumb to all of this uh, guilt and shame. He wouldn't throw out all of the good that the Jedi Order has done and just run away to a planet and just want to die. Well, I think Luke doesn't just want to die. I think he doesn't totally want the Jedi Order to be destroyed. Uh, he, he shows some cracks in his resolve at different points, obviously. But I think the big thing is Luke is older. He has been through a lot since Return of the Jedi. Now, uh, since I began my journey with Star Wars, I began as a very small child. Uh, I am a older person. We'll say that. I am not old because I think that's dumb. I'll say I'm old when I'm 87. I am an older person. And as an older person, I have the perspective that life just gets harder, even if you have a good life, even if you have a lot of optimism. I am almost an annoying wellspring of optimism that annoys people at bars with, yeah, but on the bright side, and sometimes people are just like, Scrimshaw, just keep drinking your whiskey. I don't need to hear about the bright side today. I'm a very optimistic person, but life still just gets harder with age. Your knees hurt. So I'm not, this isn't my Star Wars counseling that Luke Skywalker did everything he did because his knees hurt, but it is a factor. Anyway, so you've, you've got a lot to deal with in life, partially because of, I'm going to use this fancy term, accumulated bullshit. Luke has been dealing with these same problems in his mind, in the history of the Jedi, in his experiences again and again and again, and it does wear down your optimism. Luke started out youthful and defiant. Obi-Wan and Yoda thought Vader could not be saved, but Luke, in his youth, in his optimism, in his defiance, and maybe even a little cocky, said, no, you're wrong. I can save him. Now, Luke Skywalker was the young upstart. He had the vision to see things differently. He had the uh, audacity to take a chance, and he was right. And this set him on a path, I think, of great optimism of what the Jedi could be. They could be something different. Now, this is very relatable to me, just in real-world terms as well, when we're young. We see the problems with this system. We see the old people who are raising us, who are gruff and tired and just think things are broken and can't be fixed. And then uh, you, as a young person, come along and say, no. And you pour some optimism and some hope into the system and say, I can see it differently. I can change it. And then sometimes you do, or sometimes you just get old, you get gruff, and then you realize, oh, yeah, 
This whole life thing, systems of power, the way things work, the repetition of problems, this is really hard. No wonder that older person was gruff and weird to me when I was young and optimistic, because life is hard. Take something as simple as fashion. When you're young, you're like, I'm just, I'm always going to be fashionable. And then one day you wake up and jeans are not jeans, they are dad jeans. And jeans are now vacuum sealed to your ankles. And you say, oh, well, I can either choose to adapt or just have dad jeans. And you make a choice. Anyway, that's a little bit of a diversion. Anyway, the point to me is Luke recognizes the hubris of his youth. He won countless battles with his enthusiasm and with his being a little bit cocky. He would swoop in 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 an X-wing and he would solve a problem, just blasters blazing. He would stand in front of whole armies with his lightsaber. He saved Han from Jabba by facing down that entire operation with just his cool green lightsaber. By refusing to use violence against a family member, he inspired his father, Anakin Skywalker, Jedi hero, to reemerge and perform this selfless act of heroism and destroy the Emperor. Death to Sheev, but more importantly, life to Luke. Because in that moment, Anakin Skywalker did not destroy what he hated, he saved what he loved. And Luke got the congrats for it, even probably in his own soul, up to a point. And it was like, oh yeah, the Jedi stuff's gonna, oh geez, no. And so, eventually, he makes this mistake. And here's the thing that I think is one of the important lessons of The Last Jedi, and one of the great lessons is, Luke's failure was bad, yes, but not that bad. He has placed all the rigid dogma of his Jedi lessons and knowledge on himself. Never give in to fear. Don't attack. Do or do not. There is no try. Well, you know what? Luke tried. He tried hard to have a good Jedi school, to be a good Jedi master, and he is beating himself up because he failed. He wants to give up and burn it all down because he failed. And that is why it is so very powerful when Yoda One of the Jedi Masters who put all of this rigid dogma into his head pops up to basically say, "Uh, Luke, chill. You are being way too hard on yourself. Yes, yes, you made a mistake, but you can learn from it. We all can. I mean, that's basically a motivational poster that Yoda is selling to all of us Star Wars fans. Fail It is okay to learn from it as long as you do. Forward, find a way. You must, as long as. Anyway, Yoda would say it better than me, but the point is that you can find a way forward. And to me, that's not a criticism of the story of the prequels. It is the story of the prequels. Yoda made some mistakes that did cause or help Darth Sidious to rise, that did help Darth Vader uh, to rise. And what this is is, the benefit of this epic story. We got to see in those movies Yoda making some mistakes. Now we get to see him learning and growing and passing this on to his old student who is now a master, Luke Skywalker. It's Yoda saying to Luke, yeah, you know, I failed you, and then you defeated Vader and the Emperor by breaking the cycle and doing things your way. So maybe you should learn from yourself and trust Rey to find a way forward as well. So there Luke is. He has been pushed on these 
grumpy, upset, shame, guilt, maybe the Jedi shouldn't even be here, maybe I should just be alone, disconnected to the Force and stay on this planet and die because I, I tried so hard and I failed and I failed people I love and maybe I should just be done and I'm dumb and my beard is dumb and I deserve to have green milk in my beard and Luke is just beating himself up, but then he is pushed back toward some optimism by Ray by Yoda, by R2, by Chewie. Some porgs probably give him the side eye and say, let it go, Luke. He is reconnected with the Force itself and probably has a better sense of the true stakes of what's going on in the galaxy for himself. He has been convinced that, yes, he should act. And now we're getting to the heart of your actual grievance, Tristan, of why, why doesn't he just go to crate? He doesn't believe Ben can be saved, which, to quote Maz, is a a story for another time. That's another counseling episode. But I personally believe he doesn't think that Ben can be saved. Uh, Luke sensed that Vader could be saved. Right now, he doesn't think Ben can because, and I say this on Star Wars Counseling, about actual Star Wars Counseling, you can only be pulled toward the light if you want to be pulled toward the light. That's true of Star Wars and, you know, that actual counseling thing. So I like in my head canon the story that Anakin really did want to be saved by his son. Luke sensed this. And right now with Ben Solo, maybe someday, but he doesn't sense that. Luke doesn't sense that. Luke sensed Ben is full of anger and fear and he made his choice and there's no turning him around. In fact, That's what Rey finds out. She tries. Maybe Luke even senses that exact interaction between Rey and Ben. So, Luke has decided to act. He knows he cannot save Ben. He knows that he, Luke, can never bring himself to kill Ben Solo. It's the opposite of how he triumphed in Return of the Jedi. It is the single moment that caused him to finally lose his faith is even the thought of performing violence against Ben Solo. So what can Luke do? He puts his anger at himself aside, he puts his fear aside, and he taps fully into his amazing mastery and control of the Force, the things that Yoda tried to teach him, that he did succeed on incredibly well. He became a true Jedi Master, a powerful, powerful user of the Force, and he does something incredibly clever and incredibly pacifistic. And... He is still being true to himself. He wants to break the wheel of violence begets violence. He wants to use wisdom and compassion to triumph just like he did when he saved his father. He wants to use the force for knowledge and defense, not for attack. So he projects himself as ideal Jedi Master Luke Skywalker, the person that the Resistance needs to see, that the galaxy needs to see, the person that Ben Solo will fear. And as soon as they release Master Illusion Jedi Master Luke Skywalker action figure, I will buy a minimum of eight of them immediately, eight on my trip to a million. I want that action figure. It is amazing. Anyway, he walks out to stand down the whole First Order with a laser sword. No, not a laser sword, because he said laser sword at the beginning of the film, because he was angry and he was being dismissive. Now, he walks out as 
a Jedi Master illusion, and he does face down the entire First Order with a lightsaber. Not a laser sword, a lightsaber. And not just any lightsaber, a lightsaber of dynasty. It was his, his father's before him, and it has even now been wielded by Rey, the next generation. It is the hero's blade. Luke Skywalker is a hero. He saves the resistance. He saves his sister. This is the mature, brilliant, powerful version of that idealistic young kid who shouted, Huh? Oh, the helmet. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. And he does. He's Luke Skywalker, and he's there to rescue Leia Organa, and he does. It is so heroic. He also reminds us that, yes, military power is scary. All of those huge ATM-6s, that ship, that uh, Kylo Ren's uh, ship floating there ominously, looking like a big old evil bat. It's all scary. But he stood tall against all of that evil machinery and the money that it took to make it and the intimidation that it spreads across the galaxy, all of the power of the First Order, and he stood against it by just being smarter than them by not allowing his fear to control him and instead using Kylo Ren's weakness of fear to control him. And this amazing show of powerful force use and mastery is what costs him his life. And I think it's noble. Now, if he physically went there, which I believe would betray his own beliefs and desires, yes, It might have been awesome to see. Absolutely. I'm right there with you with many Star Wars fans. For just a second there, I thought he was going to lift up his hand and he was just going to fire that first bolt from the ATM-6 right back at its face. He was going to wave a hand and he was just going to throw all those ships around. Maybe he's going to lift one up and bounce it off the ground a couple times. He was going to be a hero using the Force on a level that we have never seen on the big screen in an actual Star Wars movie. But... As I watched it, and I started to realize that's not what's happening, I was thrilled. Because even if he had done all that, even if he hadn't tried not to kill people, and if he had just stalled by like using the biggest force push ever and just pushed the entire First Order back 20 feet, and then another 20 feet, and then another 20 feet, like a real jerk, let him walk like two steps forward, and then he would say, psych, and push him back 20 feet more. That would have been cool, and maybe no one would have died. But at some point, he would have come face-to-face with Kylo, and maybe he would have had to kill Kylo. And that's just unacceptable for Luke personally. That's not where he is at. It's not who he is. Maybe Luke would have died from the exertion, from the power, maybe Kylo would have actually killed him. Maybe he would have actually been overwhelmed by the volume of firepower that the First Order could unleash. And he would have just died violently on the battlefield in a bloody sprawl of salt. That is not, to me, a, a noble image or a noble sacrifice. And I don't think, in my interpretation with the character, of Luke wanted. Instead, he embraces one of the first lessons he got from his first master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the one he was mad at earlier, but is now embracing the teachings of. Obi-Wan taught him that sacrifice is 
noble, particularly sacrificing yourself so the next generation can live to fight another day. Obi-Wan did it for him, now he is doing it for Rey in the entire Resistance. So he does sacrifice himself, he does it with purpose and peace, as we're explicitly told in the movie, and then he stares off into those twin sons he sees. Look how far he's come from a farm boy on Tatooine to sitting peacefully, high atop the very first Jedi Temple, in a place that is just alive with light side power, high above the sea, and just before Jedi Master Luke Skywalker becomes one with the Force, he allows himself one of the joys of his youth to dream about the next adventure over the horizon. Now, I know that's just my interpretation, but I hope that uh, hearing my interpretation maybe makes you, Tristan, and uh, other people who are upset about this feel a little bit better. I think it is so heroic for him to do what he needs to do, what the galaxy needs him to do, put aside his own anger and his own fear, and be there for everyone, but in a way that is perfect for him, that is perfect for what he believes a Jedi Master should be and what he believes the Jedi should be. Now, I like to offer at least a couple different ways to look at it. So, if you don't like that whole idea that he projected himself because it was the best way to accomplish his goal and be at peace with himself, if you don't like that, here's another thing you can imagine. Maybe he did rush down to the bottom of the island. Maybe he said, yes, I need to physically be there. I can do it. I can hold them off without killing anybody. I can survive and I can live. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it. Maybe he did raise his X-Wing from the sea as easily as Master Yoda once did. Maybe he did quickly reattach that part of the wing that he used for the door of his hut. And then he just jumped in and there was no fuel. The X-Wing just didn't work anymore. And the caretakers are staring at him. And then, much like his father once said, I'll try spinning. That's a good trick. He mumbled to himself. I'll try force projection. That's a good trick. So you can imagine it those two ways. Those are the the two counselings I'm offering that Luke Skywalker was a true hero, not only because he went to Crate to face Kylo Ren and save the Resistance, his sister Leia and Rey, but because he went there exactly the way he wanted to, which was by not actually going there. Either that or his X-Wing's just a piece of crap and doesn't work anymore, and he had to come up with a plan B. I hope that helps Tristan and all the other people who are struggling with some of Luke's decisions, and I feel I'm going to relieve myself of any moments of failure that I had in that grievance and in that counseling, and I'm going to offer myself a little sip of whiskey. You did a good job, buddy, Scrimshaw said to himself. 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So on we go to grievance number two. In grievance number two is a little bit tied up with some of the same ideas about uh, what Luke Skywalker's fate is and how he handled it. But grievance number two is the dynasty of the Skywalkers. Has it been tarnished? This grievance, again, is, I think, one that a lot of people are discussing, maybe with some different nuances, but this one was sent into us by Ryan McKenna, who's also a regular listener, and we do appreciate that. Ryan says, I'd love to get help with understanding how to accept that The Last Jedi completely reconceptualized what the saga is. The previous six saga films, and arguably seven, depending on how certain mysteries were revealed, showed that the saga was about the Skywalker family drama, and how the actions of this one family changed the course of everything for the whole galaxy. But the point of Last Jedi seems to be that that doesn't matter, and heroes can come from anywhere, 
in Destiny isn't that important. This seems like a deconstruction, and it's really bothering me, and I'd love to see the light on it. Uh, so I think this is a great question. There are a lot of headlines that are just, The Last Jedi turned Star Wars upside down, or The Last Jedi is the Star Wars movies that prove Star Wars movies need to be different. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of um, opinions out there. There's a lot of, I think, maybe hyperbole out there. Because to me, I am seeing uh, something different in the film. I am seeing that it is certainly a departure from other Star Wars movies in, in a lot of ways, in tone and structure, and uh, I think even some of the uh, nature of what some of the ideas are. I think that's all valid. That's all valid. I happen to like it. But I think what is happening is this. I think the movie is critical of dynasty that it does question is dynasty the right way to go certainly luke skywalker says it multiple times snoke uh seems to either say sincerely or taunt kylo ren with i thought you'd be the next vader because of your mighty lineage there's even kind of a if you know the books there's a, a sub thread really with hux with hux not being a great leader uh because he has that position because his father was in power and there are older wiser officers like Captain Kennedy who gets blown up on the dreadnought that should maybe be in charge but because dynasty trumps everything there's Hux now that's that's one is not explicit in the films that's something that I am kind of pulling in from reading uh the Phasma novel in particular that which has a lot of great stuff about Brendel Hux and Armitage Hux anyway so there is stuff about dynasty but to me I don't think it's saying anything about the other Star Wars movies being bad. I think it's saying dynasties and bloodlines are not the only way. To me, I have a background in improv comedy where the rule is yes and. When somebody says walks on stage with you to do a scene and they're like, I have two fish for legs, you say yes and that's why you can't stand. And you continue a conversation like that of here's another idea. And I think... That's what this film is to me. It's a yes and. Yes, the Skywalker line is important, always has been, will be as long as the Skywalker line continues, but that doesn't mean that other people aren't important too. To me, it's saying, yeah, Chosen Ones, thumbs up, but Chosen Ones are not the only ones. And even though this film might be kind of explicitly having that discussion, that's nothing new to Star Wars to me. The characters have always made their personal choices, regardless of what their bloodline dictates, or regardless of what older people keep telling them their destiny is, everybody makes their own choices. Luke makes the choice to pursue becoming a Jedi. Han, who's not a Skywalker or a Jedi, makes the choice to help blow up the Death Star. It's right there in the first Star Wars film that, yes, Luke Skywalker is a new hope. No one else could have possibly made that shot to blow up the Death Star. But, you know, Luke might not have made that shot. He might have been shot down by his father if Han Solo hadn't made that noble choice to turn around, not be just a scoundrel, but to do what is right and help his friends. Obviously, Rogue One is all about this idea that it's not just the chosen ones. Luke wouldn't have had that chance to make that great shot if all of these characters, uh, if Saw Gerrera, if Jin Erso, if everyone hadn't passed the baton of hope and defiance all the way until that Skywalker blood could make that shot. 
So to me, it's an idea that's always been in Star Wars. Maybe the, we haven't put a focus on it. We haven't put a spotlight on it, but it's there. Um, now, for Rey being a Skywalker or not a Skywalker or not a Kenobi or not a Palpatine, but uh, just for argument's sake, let's say that uh, the other choice is she is a Skywalker. And then this trilogy, the sequel trilogy, is explicitly the Skywalker story. It's about the legacy. Anakin had his trilogy, Luke has his, and now Rey has hers. Um, I don't think that the events of this movie change much if she's a Skywalker. Because regardless of if she's a Skywalker, or if Kylo Ren, what Kylo Ren said to her is true, that her parents just sold her for booze, and even here as I sit sipping a whiskey, I think that's wrong. I'm on the record for that. I'm not going to debate that. That's wrong. Don't sell your kids for alcohol. Anyway, back to the point. Even if she is a Skywalker, or just no one, as Kylo Ren says, that doesn't change her choice in that moment. She has power. She has the force, and she gets to decide what to do with it. Now, another thing that I think people maybe perceive is an attack on uh, Dynasty or the tradition of the Star Wars films. And again, Ryan, as you're listening, I'm going off of your grievance, but I'm also kind of pulling in a lot of the general grievances I've heard out there. Uh, Another thing against that is, well, why is Rey so powerful? Why is this just random person who isn't a part of the Skywalker line or the Kenobi line or a clone of Palpatine's thumb. Why is she so powerful? Well, again, I I look back to the history of Star Wars and I think random people have the force all the time. Very, very powerful people have the force and we don't know their whole lineage. They're they're not a tale of, uh, of dynasty and destiny. They're just beings who've been born with the force and make choices about how to use it. Uh, that's obviously the, what's going on in the whole story. There's no, uh, of the prequels, there's no bloodlines discussion beyond Qui-Gon Jinn asking about Anakin's father. We don't know who Plo Koon's dad is. Ezra's parents from Rebels, they weren't Jedi. He was just born with the Force, as many kids are. So powerful Force users are born all the time. Uh, so that answers the the dynasty criticism up to a point. And also, just because she's not of a known bloodline doesn't mean she's not a part of destiny or fate or maybe some desire from the Force. I think one of the most fun things to think about and speculate in this uh, new sequel trilogy is this whole idea of literally the Force awakens. Uh, Ray says something awoke inside me. Snoke has his speech where he believes the balance means that if somebody rises in great power in the dark side, like Kylo Ren, someone will rise on the light side to meet them. So maybe that's the answer. Maybe Ray was born with the force like many beings are, and it was the right person at the right time because it's the will of the Force for mysterious reasons. Maybe more of that story will be told. It's an opportunity to have fun speculating. Hashtag speculate responsibly. I think it is a, a fun opportunity to think about what that means. Now, I can see how some people also think like, well, if Ray is just no one, she's not a Skywalker, and it's aggressively stated that 
she is no one. Kylo even has that uh, almost meta line of like, you have no place in this story as he's trying to prey on her fears because that's her fear that she doesn't matter, that she's not a part of something, that no one will ever want her or want her to be a part of something. Uh, I think people can see that as a criticism of the story of the Chosen One, which really drove the prequels. Now, of course, the Chosen One prophecy is created and presented by the maker himself, George Lucas. And I think if you uh, watch the, the prequels, I don't think George Lucas ever promoted the Chosen One as this really great idea that was not above criticism and questioning. Uh, I think the movies themselves question the Chosen One prophecy. It's a murky prophecy that comes from we don't know where. The Jedi admit out loud in the prequels that they might have misinterpreted it. It might have been just part of their sort of overly rigid dogma that they didn't question it more and maybe help prevent Anakin's fall to Darth Vader. So I think the fact that uh, philosophically, The Last Jedi can be seen as positioning itself to question the Chosen One is not an attack on anything that George Lucas did in the prequels. To me, it's a beautiful follow-up. George Lucas hates organizations. I would make that t-shirt, but I don't think anybody would buy it. But it's true. You look at his work. He questions the Jedi in the prequels. He didn't want to be part of a studio system, because George Lucas is a free spirit artist. He doesn't like organizations. He criticizes them constantly in all of his work. And I think the Chosen One gets kind of uh, boiled into that, into the failure of the Jedi. So I don't see it as a criticism of what George did in the prequels or of a prophecy in general. Who knows? Maybe the prophecy will come back and Rey is a Chosen One, whether she's Skywalker or not. And we get to debate more what Chosen One means and who it is. So even though The Last Jedi puts a spotlight on on kind of different ideas that I think are inherent to Star Wars, but haven't been looked at from this particular uh, point of view, even though it questions a lot, I think it ultimately reinforces a lot of what Star Wars is deep down in its DNA. Luke makes a choice to let himself be seen as a legend at the end of The Last Jedi. He reignites hope. He once was a new hope. Now he is an old hope, an older hope. A new new hope, a middle-aged hope, however you want to put it. He, a Skywalker, has once again given the downtrodden peoples of the galaxy hope, just like he did in the original film, just like the title of the original film that I know was added later for the re-release. I know, I know, it's okay. Anyway, it couldn't be more Star Wars that The Last Jedi ends with Luke Skywalker giving the galaxy hope. Was that his destiny? because he is a Skywalker, was that his choice is an individual autonomous being in the galaxy? Did he become a new chosen one in that moment? Who knows? All great fodder for discussing and debating and storytelling. And as mad as Luke is at all of it, as much as he says it's time for the Jedi to end, we get to see again and again in the film that he is conflicted. In particular, one of my favorite beats in the film is... After Ray leaves, he believes uh, she's made a mistake. She's gone to try to turn Kylo Ren. He doesn't believe it can be done. He thinks she's just repeating the mistake that he made when he ran off from his training and tried to face Vader before he was ready, and he lights up that fun fire device, and he's going to burn it all down. And then he stops. Even before he sees Yoda, he stops. And then 
When Yoda takes the choice out of his hands and summons some Force Ghost lightning, which is awesome, and the tree bursts into flames, Luke tries to run inside to save the Jedi texts. He's not totally meaning what he is saying out loud, which is the thing that we humans do all the time, especially when we're very, very conflicted. So he has not totally given up hope on the Jedi, even at that point in the film. He goes back for the books. And if that wasn't enough evidence that the character of Luke Skywalker in this movie does not believe the Jedi should end, does not believe that it was all a mistake, that the lessons of the first uh, six and seven films are useless, he says it pretty explicitly. He has that great quote towards the end of the movie that I might someday get tattooed on my back. He says, the rebellion is reborn today. The war is just beginning, and I will not be the last Jedi. Now look, you're just going to put that into a Google filter, like Google search for most Star Wars ever. The rebellion is reborn. The war, Star Wars, is just beginning. And most importantly, I will not be the last Jedi. And in particular, what just made my little Star Wars heart so happy He didn't say, I will not be the last Force user. He didn't say, I will be the last rando who uses light side abilities. He didn't say, I will not be the last person who, if Google offers you to change your desktop to either a light side theme or a dark side theme, they will choose the light side. No, he made it very clear, because none of those are very poetic. I don't think they would work really on screen. But there's just such weight of him saying, Jedi. In the shot, as soon as he says Jedi, the shot immediately cuts to Rey. Because Yoda and Luke have realized, yes, there are flaws with the Jedi Order. And yes, it needs to grow and adapt. But most importantly, yes, it should continue. Rey isn't a refutation of the tradition of the Jedi. She is their future. She is their evolution. And she proves that as she reaches out to, yes, move rocks. One of the best force moves there is. Moving rocks. But it's not that she is moving rocks. She is being a kind of chosen one. Regardless of who her parents were or are, or if they sold her for drinking money, she has power. And she has a choice of how she uses it. And she chooses to use it to save her friends. It is such a Jedi thing to do. She is not running toward the fight. She is not trying to finish Kylo off once and for all. She is saving her friends by moving those rocks. And Rey wouldn't have learned some of those lessons without the mentorship she gets from the Skywalkers, Leia and Luke, that's Dynasty. From the bad example of Ben Solo, that's also Dynasty, but not as great. From the good example she got from the old hero Han Solo, he stayed behind to blow up Starkiller Base. From her connection with Finn, who came back to save her because she is not alone. Ben wanted her to believe she's alone, but she triumphed by trusting that she was not She triumphed by embracing all of the lessons and the heroism that the previous seven movies have told. Now, all of that uh, discussion of dynasty and uh, uh, destiny and chosen ones leads me to Broom Kid. 
also known as Tamiri Blag. Now, personally, I, I don't think this is the introduction to a new, most important character. Uh, I don't think he's uh, secretly related to anyone. I don't think necessarily that we're going to see a ton of Tamiri Blag in the next movie or books or comic books. Maybe. Who knows? But I think that in this movie, in The Last Jedi, this is just a reminder that there are people everywhere always being born with the force that has always been true it always will be true it is dynasty being born with extra power and therefore extra responsibility there's broom kid and a wookie somewhere and maybe a porg maybe the great 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 granddaughter of Watto is suddenly lifting hydro spanners with her little toy darian mind somewhere who knows anyone can be born with the force and when you're born with the force You still have to make choices. You just have that extra responsibility of that inherent power. And I think it is a reminder that there are plenty of younglings for Rey, the first of the new Jedi, to possibly find and train. I don't know if that will happen in the next movie, but right now that possibility is beautifully open. I think there are a couple of other things that are very important to the question of whether or not The Last Jedi is trying to reframe Star Wars that are going on in this final scene. Most importantly, I think it's a story, you know, not just of uh, Tamiri Blegg, but all those Canto Bite kids being inspired by both the dynasty of Luke Skywalker, the great hero, the mighty chosen one, but also normal people with no powers like Finn and Rose. Those kids were inspired by, yes, a Jedi Master, but also tech support and a space janitor. They're all important because of the choices that they made. And like I said, it's not just the kid with the Jedi powers. It's all of the kids who are seeing this and being inspired by this. But in terms of The Last Jedi redefining the movies away from the Skywalker saga and away from the power of destiny, I think the last shots with Tamiri Blegg are really supporting all of those great Star Wars ideas. Yes, Broomkid is wearing the the rebel ring he got from Rose. And uh, side note, I would also like to wear one of those right now. Please, Lucasfilm, make and send me a million of those right now. Please, thank you. But he's also hearing a story about a Jedi Master, about Luke Skywalker. He's holding that broom up like a lightsaber and staring at the horizon, thinking about his destiny, just like Luke Skywalker. Broom Kid is not saying no to tradition. Broom Kid is a return to tradition. It is a callback to the most Star Wars shot that ever Star Wars Luke Skywalker staring off into those twin suns because hashtag we are all Broom Kid. We've all been inspired by the legends of Luke Skywalker, Leia Organa, Han Solo, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and possibly in the future, Watto's great-great-great-granddaughter. All those Cantobite kids are a validation of how important Star Wars has been to so many fans and will continue to be. They are telling each other stories about the further adventures of Luke Skywalker while playing with action figures. Lucasfilm and Hasbro, if you release a Luke Skywalker action figure that is called crudely made Canto Bite action figure Luke action figure, I will buy that one too. So please do make it. Those kids are doing what I and so many people of all different ages and backgrounds did. They are playing 
Star Wars. When I was a kid, I wanted to grow up to be Luke Skywalker. Now that I'm an adult and I have seen this film, I want to grow up to be older Luke Skywalker. Because what this movie said to me was regardless of uh, how, who you are, a, a powerful Jedi from a powerful line of Jedi, or a scoundrel, or a janitor, or a canto-bite stable kid, or a BB-8 droid unit, you can choose to stand up and fight for what you think is right. And this is a good message to hear at any age, but it's a particularly powerful message to hear when you are young. And then, as you get older, you might realize, ah, it's not that simple. This is really hard, and you will make mistakes, and it will not be easy, and you will not be perfect, and you will fail. You will feel that to let someone else call you a legend is a dangerous lie, because you know the truth. You're not perfect. You've made mistakes. But then, you will remember the importance of legends. You will remember that destiny and dynasty do matter, because often it takes a hero to inspire someone else to become a hero. And that hero, force powers or no force powers, could be any of us because hashtag we are all broom kid. And on a personal note, I feel this final scene validated the thousands of dollars I've spent on action figures in my life and the thousands more to come. So those are my thoughts on it from a certain point of view. I believe the movie is raising questions certainly, but I think it is also celebrating the legacy of the Skywalkers while reminding us, hey, let's not forget, as Han Solo swooped in and really helped blow up the Death Star a lot. And even if you see the film uh, differently than I do, if you still don't enjoy it, that's fine, of course. The last bit of counseling I will offer is this. It is just a chapter in a saga. There is more to come, and maybe the story will go in a place that makes you rethink everything that's said in The Last Jedi. Maybe the bold, inflammatory headlines that come out after Episode 9 is, did Episode 9 undo everything Episode 8 did? Maybe. Who knows? I like to think that all these movies have different ideas. They have different perspectives, and they bounce off one another, and they play off of one another, and they allow us to look through them and see what we agree with, what we disagree with, and I think often... Just pull out these really simple ideas through complex storytelling, these simple ideas that we really all need to hear sometimes. Because I predict the spark of hope that was reignited in The Last Jedi will become a blazing fire in Star Wars Episode Nine: Tamiri Bleg Strikes Back. That is not an actual prediction, but who knows? I say surprise me, J.J. Abrams. Surprise me. You are not my only hope, but you are one of them. Anyway, I hope that helps. We've got a lot more uh, grievances that we will be addressing from The Last Jedi and from all over the Star Wars galaxy. You can also uh, uh, feel free to tweet me uh, at Joseph Scrimshaw or at Pod. Please do use the hashtag SWCounseling. We'll try to get as many episodes as we can out in the new year. You can find me on all the social medias at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my other podcast, Obsessed, all on josephscrimshaw.com. You can like Force Center on Facebook and follow us on Twitter 
supporters at Force Center Pod. You can support our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Force Center. And of course, you can buy our merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. Don't wait for that t-shirt that says George Lucas hates organizations because I don't think I would sell many of those. Also, if you're interested in seeing me perform live, I got a bunch of shows coming up. Again, you can go to my website at josephscrimshaw.com slash live dash shows. Got a New Year's Eve show coming up here in Los Angeles and a live obsessed that is going to be happening in San Francisco in January. For now, that is it. I'm so excited to have so much to discuss and personally to just have so much hope in my heart because of Star Wars and all of the stories of the saga. So until next time, as Han Solo once said in a moment of brutal honesty, uh, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one. That's it for Star Wars Counseling. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.